Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, episode 30. Welcome to 2021, you guys. It is the year of side hustles, am I right? Uh, Actually, hopefully you've been trying to rock a couple of side hustles uh, before this point, but if you haven't, welcome to the game. 2020 taught us a lot of things. A lot of things, a lot of our priorities, um, how we want to communicate with people, our relationships, our jobs, our careers, our finances, all of it got really put under a microscope in 2020. And we're not out of the pandemic yet. I totally get that. But I think that in the whole new year, new you kind of vibe, um, people, it's just a really nice time marker for people to be able to tackle different goals. Um, you know, come out of the holiday season, hopefully feeling refreshed and, you know, getting to spend a little bit of time with some loved ones, whether it was on Zoom. You know, this is a really important time for people to be uh, just, you know, refocusing on their goals. And one of the biggest things that I think everyone should be focusing on is the fact that our financial standings and our jobs aren't secure. They're not forever. Even if you think that your job is totally forever and nothing's ever going to happen to you, which is totally the spot I was in at the beginning of last year, um, those things can change on a dime. And one of the best ways I think to protect our financial futures, whether you are a nonprofit person, a business owner, um, rocking a corporate job, rocking a small job, um, if you're waitressing, if you're bartending, whatever it is, I mean, you know, having just your whole security dependent on one source of income is so risky. And we've always known that, but a year like 2020 really shook things up and put that in perspective. So who is ready to get their side hustles on? Uh, one of the easiest ways to do this, I think, is affiliate marketing and also influencer marketing. It's great and it's easy because you, anyone can do it, right? If if you have one follower, like you have influence. If there is something, a, a company, a service, a brand, a product that you really love and that you think you, you know, could definitely share about and get some traction to, you have every right to reach out to that company and talk about it and try and kind of turn it into that side hustle, turn it into some affiliate marketing. And the best part is like, that's so low impact impact and low barrier to entry for you. You are not making a product or a service or offering consulting or doing any of these crazy things. You're just kind of being a spokesperson for a product or a brand that you already really love. And the best part to all of this is that you don't have to take my word for it. Today, you get to hear from Annie Jorgensen, who is a marketing amazing guru at Small Girls PR in New York City who has taken some really odd paths um, and has a very unique story as how to how she got to this job today, uh, which in its own, I think in a job hunting world will be very inspiring for a lot of people to hear. So 
She will talk about both as the influencer and as someone who works with influencer and affiliate marketing campaigns on the agency side, how you can go about doing that, how you can implement this into your everyday life, um, add another income stream, add another revenue stream to your life. Um, I think it's so important, again, no matter what industry that you are in. I think this is a super important skill for people to be having and something that is so, so, so easy to do. So without further ado, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to let Annie introduce herself to you and let her take it over. So Annie Jorgensen, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Um, Please tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got to be where you are today. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm Annie Jorgensen. I grew up in Wisconsin, right outside of Milwaukee, um, and I was involved in the pageant world for a long time. I was Miss Wisconsin's Outstanding Teen in 2011, went on to become Miss High School America in 2013. I gr- then graduated from high school and went to the University of Georgia, where I was in the honors program and graduated with a degree in journalism and a minor in communication studies. And while I was at Georgia, I also dove back in to the pageant world after a few years off and eventually became Miss Georgia 2018. So when I graduated from college, I immediately competed at Miss Georgia and then luckily won and spent my first year post-grad. My my full-time job was being Miss Georgia where I promoted my hashtag I got this program and worked very closely with Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. I also worked very closely with the Georgia Manufacturing Alliance and I launched a YouTube channel called Sweet Georgia Finds. And so it was a really impactful and moving year as Miss Georgia in 2018. And then as that year came to a close, I really thought about what I wanted to make my next move and my next my next step and eventually moved to New York City where I'm living now and I currently work at Small Girls PR and they're on the digital team and so I'm a creative coordinator um, in our influencer marketing team at Small Girls and I love it. Wonderful. Yeah, I remember... I mean, it was such a night when you won Miss Georgia. I actually don't know that you know this story um, because you're an hour ahead of time, right? And Miss Wisconsin was happening on the same night. So when all of us who didn't make top 10, I think at that point, we were like waiting to hear who was top five. Someone had found the live stream that you won in the back and everyone (laughs) backstage went nuts. We were all so excited. I think Elise like started crying. She was so like excited for you. Oh my God. Uh, We had a night, the night that you won Miss Georgia. That is so sweet. I had heard that they, I guess someone had made an announcement at intermission Mm -hmm. during Miss Wisconsin, but it's really cool that you guys knew backstage too. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. I don't know who told us because we don't, we didn't have our phones backstage at all. So I don't know how it got out and like who had their phone to like say, tell everyone, but it was, (laughs) it was a moment. Um, It was a very cool year watching you have that. So it, yeah, it was awesome, which is a little bit of what we're going to talk about. So I feel like our interview will be two parts, kind of the PR marketing world that you do, and then a little bit about your I Got This program, which you now have turned into consulting. So to get started, I would love for you to to share the story of how you moved to New York City and got your job, because a lot of this podcast has a younger demographic of people who are searching for jobs, and also thanks to COVID, a lot more people searching for jobs. And I think that you had a very unique way of going about it, especially since you kind of pivoted from what you're degree was. And I think it'll just be really inspiring for other people to hear how you did it. So can you share that story with everyone? 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because I genuinely can't even believe this is something that I did. Um, but so I, as I mentioned, I went to college at the University of Georgia and majored in journalism. And so truly, if you asked me um, the day that I graduated, what I wanted to do with my life, I would have told you I wanted to be a broadcast reporter, work in local news, work my way, my way up and eventually become an anchor on Good Morning America. And low key, like still to this day, I'd love to be an anchor on Good Morning America just not exactly the path that my career is taking at this moment. Um, so I had graduated and really truly thought that I wanted to do local news. And I, as I mentioned, I won Miss Georgia and truly on the night that I won is when I realized that actually is not what I wanted to do. Um, I very vividly remember after you win, they have um, pretty much like local news interview set up for you right away. And I had three back to back. So I literally stepped in front of one camera, answered some questions, took two steps to my left, answered more questions and two steps to my left again and answered more questions for the three different stations. And one of the last reporters I was talking to, she was finished and we were just chatting a little bit back and forth before as she was packing up. And she was talking about how, um, and again, this is Saturday night, probably 1030 and 11 o'clock at night. And she was talking about how the next day she had to go home and uh, get ready for her daughter's birthday party before she went into the studio. And just in that conversation, I was like, oh my God, that's not what I want for my life. And so then I took my entire year as Miss Georgia trying to reevaluate of, I loved what I learned in school and I loved the adrenaline of being on live television. And I loved a lot of different elements about um, broadcast news, but I knew I just didn't want to work in a local environment and not have a lot of control of my hours when I was trying to build a life. And so I took my years, Miss Georgia, and really reevaluated where I wanted my life to go and what skills I wanted to use and where that career could go. And then during my year, essentially what I landed on was I knew I wanted to be in media. I wanted to work in digital media and even more than that, I wanted to work in women's digital media. And so I finished my year as Miss Georgia and then really dove in to researching what my potential opportunities could be. And some of that was still media and some of that was a little bit outside the realm within PR. And I, when I say I applied to probably 70, 80 different jobs, it was extremely dream, the amount of positions that I was throwing my name in the hat for, not only because I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do, which if you're in that position trying to figure out what you want your next step to be and you don't know, please know that it is so normal not to know. And so I just kind of threw out my resume and threw out my applications everywhere to see where it would stick. And I had a few interviews with media outlets and a few like writing, reporting job interviews. And then I found small girls. And it was actually, I had come across them on LinkedIn. And then I, uh, the girl that I was eventually living with, Emily McPhail, she had texted me and she was like, if you haven't heard of this company, definitely just check them out. It seems like it would be in your wheelhouse. And I, so I took that as a sign to really take a second and a more serious look. And I realized that their PR work that they did is content that I was engaging with on my own and organically. So I knew a lot of the work of that, that Small Girls was doing before I knew who or what Small Girls was. And so then I immediately went to their website and tried to find as many positions as I could that I qualified for. And luckily there were five. And keep in mind that this is a relatively small firm. We have about 60 employees. And so applying to five positions at a 60 person firm is kind of a lot. But I applied for every job that I qualified for. 
I sent the HR alias that's on the website an email saying, hey, I've applied for these positions. Be sure to keep your eyes out for them. And then I saw on Instagram also that the small girl's Instagram account um, posted something about how they were hiring. And so then I commented on that Instagram post and sent their Instagram account a DM saying I had applied. So I did everything in my power to make sure that they did not miss my application. And I did that knowing that I was applying for jobs that sure I qualified for, but they weren't on my educational radar. Like I didn't major in PR. I didn't major in marketing. There wasn't even an influencer marketing major option at Georgia. Um, and so I knew that I had the skills to do the job, but maybe not necessarily on paper. Um, and then I had a phone interview and then another interview later on. And then <laughs> Somewhere along the way within this mix of applying for jobs, I had decided that New York was exactly where I wanted to be. Honestly, probably before that I had decided, but it was a real choice and a real decision that I had made in early September. So I grabbed my roommates that we, I was going to live with and signed a lease. And then, and I signed this lease without having any job prospects. This was before I heard back from small girls or from anywhere. And so I was going through the application process and came to my final interview, which was a presentation of a mock project that I had put together, like a mock in influencer campaign. And so I had presented my, my campaign, my project, my interview ended, and I immediately changed clothes, walked downstairs, got in the U-Haul, and drove to New York City with my mom. Uh, and so it was a very scary but exciting moment when I was literally leaving Wisconsin because at that point I was back at my parents' house. I was leaving Wisconsin, headed for New York. And that was kind of when it dawned on me that I was moving to New York City without a job and like without a prospect of a job. I was very <laughs> overwhelmed. And it, we broke up the drive within two days. This is a, an important part of the story. So we broke up the drive within two days. And so the first and the entire day of driving, all I could think about was this interview that I had had. And I hadn't heard anything back. I didn't get an email. I didn't get literally radio silence. And I was like, I didn't get it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, where, what's my next step? This is the most lead that I have as far as finding a job. And then that feeling progressed into the next day. And uh, I, so I got an email on our second day of driving that it was the HR rep. And she was like, we'll call you at five o'clock. Like, okay. So we pull up to the hotel at I kid you not, 4.49 p.m. And so I'm sitting in the U-Haul at the hotel the day before I was moving into my apartment in New York. And that's when small girls called me and offered me the job. And I, I'm not a crier at all. Like I'm not an emotional person. I'm emotional, but I don't express my emotions through crying. Uh, but I cried sitting in the U-Haul and in the parking lot. And I didn't realize how overwhelmed I was about moving to the city without having a job until I got a job. So that was a very long-winded story of basically saying I took a bet on myself. I knew the city is where I wanted to be. I, I grinded. I applied to anything and everything I thought I could potentially be interested in. And I just trusted that it was going to work out. New York is a big city. There's what, like 5 million people on this island. And I was like, there has to be one job available that, I fit, that I'm a fit for. And I was like, it doesn't need to be the best starting position ever. It doesn't need to be my dream job. It just needs to be something to get me there. Mm -hmm. So I bet on myself and here I am. See, I love that. But also as you were doing that and like sharing that on Instagram, I was watching it. I was like, 
because again, I'd done like my one summer internship in the city. So I just was thinking about like how expensive it was. And I was like, that's a lot of moxie <laughs> to, to commit that hard and to bet on yourself. Uh, but I like your mindset that you said, because I think people reverse this a lot of like, there's 5 million people and jobs. Like one of them has to be a great fit for me. And just to not give up until you found that one. Because mm-hmm. I think people reverse it a lot. They're like, well, this one job didn't want me. So I guess... I suck and I'm just like going to throw my resume away. So I like that that was more your mentality. Definitely. Yeah. You got to stay positive. Now that you are at Small Girls PR, can you tell us a little bit about your life there and your job duties and what you do with them? Definitely. So as I mentioned, I work on our digital team and the way that Small Girls is organized as a company is we kind of have three different pillars of what we offer. We do have a traditional public relations team or multiple teams that do traditional PR, so working with broadcast outlets and working with media outlets, working with magazines, the traditional media PR side. That's probably like 60% of our company is that. And then we also have my team, which is the digital team, and we're a small but mighty team of four people. Um, And what we do is we develop campaigns, uh, social media campaigns for national brands. Um, And so it's a really fun, creative Uh, analytical position to be in. And then we also have an events team, which unfortunately due to COVID is not super busy at the moment because events look very different in 2020 as they did in 2019. Um, But yeah, so overall that's like what we do at PR, at at Small Girls PR. But as I mentioned, I'm on our influencer marketing team. Mm -hmm. So really quickly, can you give people a breakdown of the difference of marketing, public relations, influencer marketing, and affiliate marketing? Because I think it's really easy for people to just lump all of that together in one sitting. And they're like, yeah, that marketing PR, but I don't think people understand like the difference. So can you give that breakdown? Yes, for sure. And there's a lot, there's a big difference between all of the different ones. And honestly, I feel like you could even throw advertising in there because it is Mm -hmm. so similar, but it's so different. Um, So I feel the best way to explain PR kind of stands on its own. Like public relations is more of a brand or a a person even um, taking their messaging and bringing it to the mass media. So they're sending press releases. um, They have their talking points and they're, they're trying to get them out through broadcast TV, through uh, newspaper articles, through magazine articles. And that's more of the public relations. And you can also throw in events in there too, but that's a little bit different. It kind of throws in a different element. Um, I think the biggest similarities between the group of four that you mentioned Mm -hmm. is between marketing and influencer marketing. And they're the same thing. It's just influencer marketing is a subset of what marketing is. And so what we do as an influencer marketing team is we take the similar talking points that the press team would be sending out to media outlets, but we send those to influencers and contract influencers to take those talking points or promoting a new product that a company just launched and bringing it out to social media. And so there's a lot of overlap between the teams because we do want the same messages thrown out to the audiences and thrown out to the general public as possible. I'm sure if you're familiar with the advertising marketing uh, world at all, it's, I think it's the rule of seven. Like I said, Mm -hmm. I was not a marketing major, but you have to hear the same message seven times. And then on the seventh time that the consumer will purchase the product or believe whatever talking point you're saying. Um, So we do work very closely with the press team to make sure that all of the the messaging terms um, are like, 
the same throughout the board. Um, and then affiliate marketing, as far as I know it, uh, the way it goes for influencer marketing, <laughs> and again, this gets very nuanced too, but within mm-hmm. influencer marketing, you have uh, paid partnerships, you have earned campaigns, and then you can also have affiliate marketing. And affiliate kind of is right in the middle of earned and paid programs programming. So for the paid partners, we're obviously paying those people to post on social media channels. For earned gifting, we're providing the influencer's product in some kind of way. It could be a natural deodorant sample. It could be headphones, whatever it is. We're providing them product in the hopes that they post on Instagram or TikTok, whatever it might be. And then affiliate influencer marketing is by providing the influencer product, but then also offering them a discount code where they can make a percentage of commission on the sales that they do. So they can still be financially compensated, but it's kind of up to them and up to their audience. Mm -hmm. I think it's funny because I think influencers as of recent get a lot of kind of like shit sometimes for what they do and what they post and how they do it. But at the same time, I don't think people understand like it is them being a really roundabout salesperson because it is earning sales commissions on that. And I don't think people overly always get that. So I appreciate you kind of breaking that down for people. Oh, definitely. Um, And it's very interesting too, because I have, I do a little influencing on my own on the side, but I have friends who are full-time influencers And they think it's so interesting how people in their audience will send them DMs or comment and be like, okay, but what do you actually do? Like, how do you make money? And they're like, what I'm telling you is is how we make money. Like, how can I be more clear about it? Um, But yeah, it's very interesting. I think I, you know, I have a lot of sympathy for that because I think people do that a lot to those people that's like, okay, social media and Instagram isn't a full-time job. What else do you do to make money? And they have to sit there and like, run their head into a wall, be like, no, 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 no. This is a lot more time and effort than it really looks. It just gets a bad rep because they're usually like just really beautiful women. So they're like, oh, you just take cute pictures. And call right. It a it's day. a lot of work. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And I've always appreciated influencers and I've known that it's a lot of hard work, but being in this position, I've learned some of the intricacies of what the the field really is. And it's so it's, it's a lot of hard work for these influencers to build their own personal brands. And then it's a lot of work um, to find their partnerships and find the collaborations that they're doing. Like I get how that can be a full-time job, but also every piece of content that influencers promote cannot be sponsored content or else it's just so inauthentic. Mm -hmm. And so having someone build a brand that's interesting enough for hundreds of thousands of people to want to follow you and work on top of that to find these partnerships and collaborations that align with your values. It's, I, it's truly, truly an art form. Yeah. It's a, it's 24 seven for sure. So, okay. This podcast is really geared towards both the nonprofit and the social enterprise sector. Um, so basically the impact makers of the world, which traditionally means that they have such smaller budgets than, you know, our for-profit friends. So how would you advise like a social impact or a social enterprise brand on where they should start their marketing and PR strategy with very like shoestring budgets? Yeah, I think that's a really great question that you have to put a lot of thought into of how you're going to market yourself to the masses. Um, For as, well, let me speak towards 
small girls itself. So we do have within our agency, um, it's not that we have a specific team set aside, but we have specific hours that are set aside for pro bono work. Hmm. And so it get but it gets better as it is one of our clients that we work with pro bono. Um, we've had other ones in the past, but that's just the top one that comes to mind. And so if you are maybe a local, let's say for example, a local Milwaukee nonprofit, maybe find a boutique PR firm that's based in Milwaukee and see if they do any pro bono work that way and keeping it local and keeping your audience, um, really targeted. Um, but then also if you are looking to, if you're a nonprofit or, um, something that's looking to dive into influencer marketing in particular on your own without reaching out to a PR firm. I think the biggest thing that you first need to do is identify your target audience. Like who are you trying to reach for some people that might be like middle-aged people, like women, like whatever it might be. If it's middle-aged people, maybe Facebook is the way to go. If it is millennials meets Gen Z, probably Instagram. If you want to reach Gen Z and like maybe let's say for example, first time voters, TikTok would be the way you want to go. Um, and so it's knowing who you're trying to uh, target and who you're trying to speak to and then finding the platform that aligns with that best. And then also just organically reaching out to influencers that you think would promote your brand well. Um, and like I mentioned before, earned gifting is such a normal activity and it's um, influencers often say that they don't get compensated enough for their work which is true um, but it's a very very normal practice to have earned gifting and especially if there's a nonprofit element influencers are a lot more willing to post for free for something that's doing social good and so it's just reaching out you might have to send 50 emails to get five responses but hey we did the same thing when we were applying for jobs too so it's really all the same. You just kind of have to put out the work and find those influencers that you think would best promote your messaging to the public on the right platform. Mm-hmm. I actually, I think I just saw yesterday, it was like Carly Kloss just did like a campaign for these like compression socks for like healthcare, like workers that are giving back. And I'm sure, I mean, that's like a huge get for anyone to have posts <laughs> about their products. But it made me feel a lot better being like, oh, like she really took to heart this idea of this like new type of compression sock that really is meant for people in healthcare that are on their feet 24 seven. And I was like, I'm sure she did that for probably nothing, if not like a very small amount than she normally would have charged for that. So I think there's definitely a lot of wiggle room for people there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what would be the most important aspect to a marketing and PR budget that an organization or a new budding business should really put more money towards first? And what's another aspect that can kind of wait until they get a little, either a little bit more money or a little more established? I think even before you start talking about budgeting and money and finances of a brand, um, I think you have to establish your brand aesthetic and your brand, for lack of a better word, your vibe on your social channels. And if we're speak, I'm speaking solely towards influencer marketing at this point. So if you are a new brand and you've just launched your Instagram page, uh, it's, you're going to find it really, really difficult to, to reach out to influencers and have them excited to partner with you. If you say have 50 followers or have one post on your feed. So you really want to put the work in ahead of time to build out a strong profile and that you don't need to have thousands of followers for it to be strong, but to just show that it's 
active and it has uh, depth and that you have forethought into what you're, you want your page to look like. I think that's more important than um, even beginning to deal with money. And then once you feel like you have a good understanding of what your aesthetic is, what you um, are like, what your messaging is, um, what your verbiage is normally like on your page, then that's when you can bring in the finances to influencer marketing. And the first thing I would do with money is to first boost and promote your own posts to targeted audiences. So you're reaching your audiences um, and you can do that. Facebook analytics and Instagram analytics have that really down pat. It's very easy to do even down to, if you want to target people that are within a 50 mile radius of a certain city that are between the ages of X and Y, like you can go as nitty gritty as, as you want to. Um, and so boosting your posts first, and then I would say that's when you dive into earned gifting if you have something you can gift influencers with and then working your way into paid influencer marketing. But I think it's kind of towing the line. And if you have a, a big working budget, then sure offer influencers, even start with like $50 compensations. That's a great way to get into paid. Um, but finding those partners um, is a really important way to do that. But yeah, I think just making sure that you know what you want your brand to be represented as on social channels. And so that way you can find the right influencers to help promote those messagings mm -hmm. along the way. So kind of, you know, skewing away from influencer marketing and more in the traditional routes for like PR press releases, kind of getting like bigger um, media types, like we were talking about earlier, what would be, if it's a brand new organization or company, like what would kind of be their best bet to reach out for some of that mass media? That's a really great question. I can only speak to that. I think from the journalistic side mm -hmm. of what a reporter would leap out in in like their email inbox, because most more likely you're going to be sending them an email. Um, I think putting everything labeled out very, very clearly, keep it short and to the point, don't send them multiple paragraphs. If you can send bullet points of the who, what, where, and why of what you're trying to get them to do, break it down as simply as possible. That's one piece of advice I would definitely say. The second piece of advice is that we're always taught, and I was even taught in journalism school, is that like journalists and reporters can be very egotistical. And so if you can spin whatever email you're trying to send, uh, so it's targeted exactly for that reporter that you're reaching out to, as simple as I saw that you had written an article recently about X, Y, and Z, I thought you'd be really interested in this. And you could link their article that they had written. It just shows that you have, you, you care that you are reaching out to that individual person and that you're not just BCCing people left and right to get your messaging out there, but really truly building those one-on-one -on -one relationships, which true, takes more work and more time. But I think that will be um, very helpful and successful for the people that are trying to get their, their toes in the doors of mass media. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I love that advice. So, okay, now let's kind of back up a little bit. Let's say that someone launched either a, a product, a service, a, or just their brand in general, um, and it kind of flopped <laughs> and they're really mm -hmm. struggling to get some traction or just really get off the ground. Like at that point, what would you advise them to, to, to do either differently or maybe like a relaunch of something? Where would you go with that? Yeah, I would definitely recommend a relaunch and 
I am by no means an expert in this at all, but I have seen some of our clients that we work with um, do relaunches, even for products, if there was something that went right or didn't go well, that you just make tiny little adjustments. Everything is a learning opportunity. And so take what worked and what didn't work and make those adjustments for your relaunch um, and just promote it that way. Uh, but like I said, I'm really not an expert in the best way if something flops, but I think there's nothing wrong of having a grand reopening. Mm, totally true. I like that. Mm-hmm. So my last kind of question in this area is, do you have any like marketing or PR or influencer like pet peeves that you see brands do like a common mistake that people are doing? Um, <laughs> I think those are three very different questions. Okay, my pet fair. peeves <laughs> for brands versus for influencers. I have this whole big uh, holdup in my mind um, <laughs> with influencers actually, <laughs> because if you think about it, the reason why influencers exist is because it was people that run, that live very average lives, very normal lives, and they found products that work. And then they talked to their followers about why they liked or didn't like certain things. And then they naturally gained these followers that were interested in their opinions. That's the epitome of what an influencer is. And so now influencers, because they can be full-time jobs, I feel like influencers sometimes can be so far removed from what the average person is looking for. Um, The average person can't spend $500 on an at-home laser hair removal skincare device. You know what I mean? Like that's not, as a working woman, that's not something I'm going to spend my money on. I'm going to save my $500 and like treat myself to a nice dinner or something. Um, Rather than them saying like, Hey, this is my lifestyle. I work and I work out and I do X, Y, and Z. And this is something that I've really come to love and use in my everyday life. I want you to try it too. And so I think that there are, obviously there are influencers out there that influence full time and do a great job of staying relatable and staying relevant to the average person. But I do think that the influencer community is geared towards an influencer product base, if that even makes sense at all. But it's just something that I'm trying to figure out in my mind of how we can solve that problem, because I think influencer marketing is the future. Um, But I just want these influencers that are doing it full time to make sure that they're promoting products and promoting products in a way that the average normal person that works an eight to six or a nine to five job would want. Oh, so okay, that actually makes me think of one other last question for you on that. So let's say that someone wants to kind of break into this, they want to really represent a product that they genuinely love. How, what's the best way for them to reach out to said brand, especially if they haven't, like if the brand hasn't done influencer marketing before, like how can you kind of pitch to this brand, like, hey, I love your product, I want to represent it? Honestly, just by sending an email of what exactly you just said, we get influencer inbound inquiries a million times a day. Not really that many, but we get a lot every day of these influencers that just organically say, hey, I tried your natural deodorant and I loved it. And and then a lot of times the brand will gift them product or um, figure out a way to partner with them in some way, shape or form. What we usually do is then we ask for their audience demographics and or their media kit um, to make sure that their audience is who we're trying to target as a brand. And then we also um, 
analyze their engagement rate, which means the amount of likes, comments, uh, shares, saves that their photos and content receives versus the amount of followers that they have. We just want to make sure that people, they have an engaged audience, meaning that because if you think about it, let me even back, back up a little bit more. The point of influencer marketing is to yes, get eyeballs on a product or on a brand. But at the end of the day, all of our clients are coming to us hoping that by doing that, it will increase their sales. So we want these that our influencer partners audiences to be engaged enough to want to buy the product. That's not what we sell as an agency. We sell eyeballs. We don't sell sales. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately that's the goal. Oh, if the influencer is, if you like, for example, I, like I mentioned, I influence sometimes on the side and I fell in love with this workout athletic wear brand. And so I sent them an email and I said, Hey, I love your products. I just bought this specific set. If you are ever looking for influencer marketing, I would love to promote your products to my audience. And in return, I received a free set, like a free workout set. And that was great. And that was exactly what I was looking for. And so it's just sending those emails of saying like, I love what you're doing. The more specific you can be um, about the brand itself and about the products you like or about why you like their products, that will be helpful because again, as, as often as we send out emails, we um, are receiving emails from influencers and it's really easy to tell which ones are genuine and which ones aren't. Um, mm -hmm. So just make sure you're reaching out with purpose. We know that you're strong and empowered. We know that you wanna make an incredible impact on this world. And thankfully, there's an online boutique for you to represent that message every day. The Ona Boutique has two lines of t-shirts and engraved gold bar necklaces to remind you that you're capable of incredible impact on this world. And the proceeds benefit Operation Not Alone, a Wisconsin-based nonprofit supporting our troops, veterans, and mental health initiatives all across the country. Head to theownaboutique.com to shop their collections and get free shipping with the code IMPACT. That's theownaboutique.com and use code IMPACT. Kind of switching gears, I want to talk to you a little bit about I Got This and the fact that now you do that as a consultant, um, because again, I think the other half of this audience for this podcast are people who have taken a lot of their knowledge from business, from nonprofits, and went into consulting or coaching. So I find this very fascinating, and I haven't gotten to talk to someone on the consulting side yet. So yeah. you made huge strides with the I Got This campaign. Um, can you talk about where that first came from and how that evolved as your year as Miss Georgia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my inspiration for the I Got This program honestly started when I was a senior in high school. Uh, as I mentioned before, I was Miss High School America in 2013, and our national platform for that organization was on anti-bullying. And so I partnered with a bullying organization that year and spent the whole year traveling the country and speaking to students about what bullying is and how to combat it. And that during that year was when it clicked in my mind, and I was like, yes, Bullying is a really big problem, but if people just had confidence in themselves, if they just believed in who they were and what made them special, people wouldn't feel like they needed to bully others or they wouldn't feel like if they were being bullied that it defined who they are. I was like, these people just need to know why they're great. And then I took a step back and I thought, well, am I confident? And then I was like, okay, like, I feel like I'm confident. And I was like, okay, where did that come from? And so the, I got this program evolved out of my 
journey of figuring out where it was that I felt my confidence because there were definitely days growing up and even still today where I feel insecure and I feel like I'm not enough and I feel like I'm not worthy. Um, but I have, luckily I have, you know, um, coping mechanisms where I fall back into the relationships that I have in my life or the goals that I'm setting for myself. And I boost myself back up that way, but not everybody has the tools to rebuild their own confidence. And so that was the foundation of how I started the, I got this program. So the four keys to confidence are building relationships, loving to learn, setting goals and volunteering. Um, and so those are the four keys that I have found the most impactful ways to help build your own confidence. And so when I decided I was going to pursue Miss Georgia, I knew exactly what my platform was going to be. It was going to be confidence building. And it took me three years to come up with the title of I Got This. And eventually over the course of the three years, I worked really hard and was able to partner with the Girl Scouts of America and developed a patch program. And so Girl Scouts all throughout the country could earn their patch of confidence by completing my workbook and finding their patch of confidence and earning their patch of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was the essence of how I got this started and what it is. And um, I, as many people in the pageant world know, you should be entering uh, the state competition knowing that this being a state title holder is a job and it's a job where you can make money. Or in my mindset in the state of Georgia, it was a full-time job and it is a way for you to make money. You know that you're not going to make a lot. That's not why you become Miss Georgia. But I, as a businesswoman and with a businesswoman's mindset, I thought, okay, how can I maximize the most out of my year of service? And it was um, figuring out ways that I, I could uh, make money on the work that I had done for this program. And so I partnered with Girl Scouts and I was selling these patch programs and I absolutely loved it. And I knew that I was making a big impact on the Girl Scouts that I was working with and even the school children that I would present um, like at school assemblies or at school visits. Um, so I knew it was something that was really important. And so when my year of service as Miss Georgia came to a close, I wasn't ready to put that away. And I still had the itch of a businesswoman's mindset. And so I wanted to stay my business and I wanted to continue to help specifically young women feel confident in who they are. And I found my confidence a lot through the pageant world. And I wanted to stay at least, you know, like half of a foot of a step into the pageant world, even as I went into quote unquote retirement. Mm -hmm. And so that was when I decided I wanted to dive into consulting through interview coaching. Interview has always been my favorite phase of competition. I love to talk. Um, I think it's truly the best part. I think you win an interview. And so I thought what better way to prepare girls to be confident than to help them best prepare for interview. And that's how I got this consulting kind of came to be. I love that. So what has been obviously, I mean, the most rewarding part, but also the most challenging part of kind of putting your consulting hat on? That's a really great question. And I think I'm still learning a lot about what it means to be a pageant consultant or a pageant coach. I've been doing this for mm, like roughly nine months, seriously, probably like almost a year, but nine months seriously. And it's very, very interesting how each person learns so differently. And so a skill that I've been working towards gaining is 
finding different pathways to get to the same destination because people will pick up on different phrases or different words or pieces of advice that I'm giving them in very different ways. Um, so that's something that I've learned and it's, I'm a naturally curious person. And so I've really loved that element of learning how people learn very differently. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's one of the major things. Um, but I for honestly, I forgot the other part of your question. <laughs> that's okay. It was most rewarding and challenging part of consulting. Oh, okay. Rewarding is the easy part. I <laughs> love seeing the progress of my girls that I work with. I recently worked with um, a handful of girls, but one, her name is Stephanie Skinner and she was Miss New York High School. She was competing for Miss High School America. And we started working together in March and she just competed like this past month. So it was March. We worked together from March to September and seeing the amount of growth that she had in six months, which six months is a long time, sure, but relatively like it's not. Um, but just, she became a completely different person just through how she was believing in herself. And even when we were FaceTiming with our sessions and we both didn't have makeup on and our hair was up in messy buns, the confidence that she held herself with by the time we got to the point where she was ready to compete at nationals, it was truly remarkable. I felt like a proud mom or like a big sister or something. I was like, this is the best feeling I could have ever, ever had. And I was luckily lucky enough to go and watch Miss High School America in person. And I, I'm, I, I'm gonna have to wait to have kids for a long time because I was truly emotional <laughs> watching her and thinking of the growth and the work that she put in to have that growth happen for herself. And it was just truly amazing. Like rewarding is not even enough to say how that made me feel. So I, that, that was in and of, of itself enough to make me want to continue coaching and consulting for a long, long time. <laughs> I love that. Um, what has been like your sales and marketing process been for getting a bigger consulting base or do you even want a bigger base or, you know, do you limit it to how many people you can take on in a year given your time? Yeah, I definitely do try and limit it. And <laughs> When I started this, I was thinking it was going to be a side hustle that my goal was to every month be able to pay for my rent with the money I was making on consulting. And could I do it? Maybe I think I could, but that would just be so many hours of my time because I truly appreciate the one-on-one -on -one personal training that goes into this consulting firm this consulting business. And, and so I realized that I, I would much rather have quality versus quantity, but so I've really started to emphasize quality over quantity of the amount of clients that I have. Um, quality meaning that my sessions, I put my time and effort to make sure I'm prepared and that they know what's going on. And I feel like I am not pull, dragging myself too thin. And honestly, I am living in a new city and I want to have time and space to be able to enjoy a new city without feeling guilty or feeling like I'm missing something. Um, so I try and limit it. A very busy week for me is having four clients and I prefer to work with clients, especially close to pageant times. I prefer to work with clients at least once a week. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of dwindles down my client base to like maybe 10 um, which I think was a really healthy number. But as far as my marketing goes, um, I'm, 
very grateful that Miss Georgia helped me gain a little bit of a social media presence. And so I do promote that on social media. I reach out to specific girls or contestants that um, I've either known in the past or known of people who know them, um, just saying like, hey, this is something I do if you're interested, or if I'm at a pageant and happen to see a girl and I think, you know, I see a lot of potential in her, I'll reach out to her on social media. Um, Sometimes word of mouth happens. Um, mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends who are like hair and makeup artists in the pageant world. And so if they hear of a girl interested or looking for an interview coach um, and vice versa, if I have a girl that's looking for a hair and makeup artist, we kind of help each other out that way. Um, but it's truly just like organic searching in, in that form. Yeah, that's awesome. So what advice do you have for someone who wants to start consulting, um, even as a side hustle, not for a full business? Like where, what advice do you have for someone just starting out? I think just do it. I've learned so much more in consulting by doing it than I thought I could have learned. I, I thought I, I knew everything I needed to know beginning this journey. Um, I had worked with several interview pageant coaches, consultants, whatever they might be throughout my 10 years in the pageant world. So I truly thought I knew I was getting what I was getting into. Um, but just start and start with where you think is right. And then you can always adjust moving forward from there. I think just finding your passion and knowing that you're passionate enough to focus on that in your free time, because time is so, so valuable, especially as people that are putting in this consulting idea as a side hustle, meaning that they probably already have a full-time job or more than one job. And so if you're passionate enough and excited about that topic enough to want to pursue consulting, I say just do it. And if that even means working for free for your first client or your first two clients, um, just to get your nerves out of the way, because you'll probably be nervous before your first few meetings, um, just get your nerves out and to get like a good understanding of what you're looking for and what you're working towards. Um, I, I guess that's a good option too, but you have to believe in yourself. And I'm going to contradict myself really quickly and say this too. You have the option if you want to just get the experience and do it for free, but also know your worth. For me, I had a really hard time determining my rate when I was first starting because in my mind, I didn't have any credibility. I hadn't, like I had had successes in the pageant world, sure, but I hadn't ever taught anybody else to be successful in the pageant world. So in my mind, I was like, I, I can't, I can't charge a certain number because I have nothing to fall back on. But then I took a step back from friends I had the, my friends around me and my, um, you know, people that were encouraging me to do this and my mom um, saying, you have 10 years of experience and you have, you know, like competing at a Miss America interview, answering an onstage question at Miss America, winning a state interview overall award. I had all of those pieces of credibility to add to my resume, which are valid. And so you can't sell yourself short. You have to remember that people are paying for your expertise and not just for your time. Mm -hmm. And both are so valuable. Right. Oh, you know what? And that I think is the hardest thing that will really deter people is just like figuring out what to charge. And I think one of my favorite pieces of advice I've gotten from that from my business coach was more uh, like, how would you price it if it was your best friend? 
Like, what would you tell them their rate is? Because then it makes it so much easier to look at ourselves objectively, right? Because otherwise it's easy to discount ourselves. So I think that's great advice. Um, Yeah, rates, pricing is, that's tricky. That's tricky. It's tricky. And people get so uncomfortable talking about money. Like even sitting here now, I'm like, did I want to go there? But I'm glad I did. Because I I get so uncomfortable talking about, it's so taboo to be like, oh, how much do you pay in rent? Or how much do you get paid at your job? Like, yeah, it's uncomfortable to talk about (laughs) money, but it's just, it's something that especially is for someone thinking about pursuing a side hustle or um, pursuing entrepreneurism in any kind of way. You have to be comfortable enough to talk about money and to ask Mm -hmm. for what you're worth. Yeah. I'm going to go a little off topic for a second because now I'm just intrigued. Do you find now that, because you've been in New York for over a year just about a year. It'll just be about a, a year? year at the end of this month. Okay. So do you find kind of being also in that environment, I think sometimes it is taboo to talk about money, but I think it's more taboo for women to talk about money and just like our desire to try and make money and have a hustle and do our thing. So have you found yeah. that um, that energy to be a little bit different in New York? Like, like is it more accepted, less accepted? That's a good question. That's just my um, curiosity. That has nothing to do with what we've talked about. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good question. And I guess in some ways it's more acceptable. For example, if I am out and about and I just met someone like a friend of a friend and we're talking about what part of the city they live in and blah, blah, blah. Like if they say they live in a certain area, let's say for example, they're like, oh, I live in the West Village. I don't, I would not feel uncomfortable. That's not true. I would have to gauge the situation, but more likely than not, I wouldn't feel that uncomfortable asking them what they pay in rent, but I would never ask somebody what they make at their job. Mm-hmm. Even if they were my, that's not true. I've asked my roommates what they make. <laughs> um, I don't know. And maybe I'm not like the best person to ask this question because I, I very rarely get uncomfortable mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm willing to ask I I gauge situations. I try to gauge situations very well. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'd be willing to ask someone a question and phrase it as like, you don't have to answer this if this makes you feel uncomfortable. uh, But I would just like to know out of my sheer curiosity. But it's not like people are in New York talking about money. Like, I don't think it's like a common topic of conversation. But you can kind of tell about like where someone either uh, like what restaurants they go out to, how they spend their time, or if you go to their apartment, like you can just tell if they, you know, uh, (laughs) invest in themselves in certain ways. Yeah. Um, But I wouldn't say, I think it's, I think living in New York is kind of similar to everywhere else. Mm -hmm. You try and keep your, your level of respect. Yeah, for sure. I just think it's, I always find it interesting because like the harder I dive into more financial stuff, even investing, like podcast books, it's all written by men and it's all very like tailored and like to other men for it. And I'm like, women are in this world. Like we're having these conversations and I'm, so I always just kind of get curious. Like, is it still really this taboo for women to talk about, you know, these investing rates, these things. And I think, so then when it comes to something like pricing ourselves for, you know, if we do some consulting, if we do a side hustle, it just all of a sudden becomes a more weird conversation for us to have. So this was all very not on topic for what we were talking about, but I just found it really interesting. (laughs) It's all still relevant. I will say, I think 
you're right is male versus female. I think, and there are several studies that are out there that say men are more willing to ask um, for promotions or raises more so than women are. I do feel very lucky that I work in a company or I work at, for a company where I would say 85% of our employees, probably more than that, are women. And so I'm in a very, like when I say equality is key in small girls, like I feel equal the moment I walked through the doors, like my opinion mattered and my voice mattered. Um, but I do know that that's not the case at every single company across industries. Um, but I think, I don't know, women, you just got to believe in yourself. You, you got this, just ask. The worst thing that someone could say is no. Right. Yeah. That's the worst thing. I don't know. I love it. I love that we got to end this on a, on a, you got this moment. So <laughs> I'm all about um, it. Annie, this was such a treat. I know that you are a very busy gal. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think all of this information is going to be very, very useful to people, both in the nonprofit and the for-profit sector. So God, just thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really loved this. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.